Listening to audio from Memphis Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit memphiscc.info. Well, good morning. It's great to see all of you out this morning. We had a packed house last night, so many new faces, and there are several in the room today. If you're new to MCC, we welcome you. We welcome you back. Take a few minutes and take that Get Connected card throughout the next half hour and share what's going on in your life and how we can encourage you. Those of you that are watching online, especially to a friend of mine, LJ, that's out there, if you're watching this morning, I want you to text your husband just to prove it. But it's great to... uh, It's great to have this opportunity to be together. Grab your Bible. I want you to grab a physical Bible this morning. If you you have to use your phone, go ahead and put it on airplane mode. And if you hear someone's phone around you, I just want you to grab it, throw it down, and stomp it as hard as you can. All right? But I want you to grab a physical Bible. And, and I heard that some of you have gone out and bought new Bibles this year, bigger print perhaps, maybe an easier-to-read translation. But if you're new to reading the Bible, which is nothing to be embarrassed about, thank you. Thank you for opening up this Word. But inside the front cover, you're going to see a table of contents. And right there, it's the best place to go if you're trying to find like the book of Luke. You're going to see the table of contents broken down into two parts, the Old Testament and the New Testament. Luke is in the New Testament. It's the third book. You say books, at the top of every page is the name of the book that you are in. There are 66 of those books in the Bible. The verse number is the number that you see there. Just like a telephone book, when you're looking up a number, it's got the first number on the left and the last number on the right. So so grab your Bible and turn with me to Luke chapter 7, verse, verse 36. Now, this month and next, we're going to be looking at some of the most challenging walks, but some of the most life-changing walks that are recorded by God's Word in the Bible, walks taken by people just like you and me. And this weekend's kind of that introductory message, but it is a significant one, so I hope you'll fasten your seatbelts and hold on to your Bibles and make some notes. But our goal this weekend is to understand, first of all, to understand what it takes to take one of these walks, one of these walks with God, one of these walks that we're called to take as individual believers. Second, I want you to understand and I want you to always look for what it is that you're walking towards. You need to understand what it is that you're walking towards. And finally, finally, I want you to know, I want to convince you these next eight weeks that what it is that you're walking to is literally as close to you as just across the room. It is not too far away, especially if you're trying to align your life with God's commands and his spirit is living inside of you. Where you hope to get to is literally just on the other side of the room. I want you to think about the walks that you've taken. I've thought a lot about these walks over the last month Uh, looking ahead at this series. And uh, how many of you have had children in preschool take that first graduation walk as a preschooler? Now, Sarah and I, we've been to dozens of these things. She has several young nephews, and for some reason, it has taken all of them three or four years to graduate from preschool. She says, we're going to a preschool graduation. I'm like, didn't he graduate last year? And she said, yeah, but we're going again. So we go again, and finally, by the third time, that's it for that one. 
Now, if it takes them that long through the next years of school, uh, they're going to be in their 40s when they get out. But we, we take those early walks. I've taken walks along the beach. If you've not had the opportunity to see the ocean, what, what an amazing thing of God's creation. You look out at it, and it looks even higher than you. Well, what keeps that from just overtaking the land? I, I don't know. But I have enjoyed those walks on the beach, whether you've gone by yourself or you've gone with somebody you love and just feel the sand between your toes. Uh, I've made that walk. I've made that walk up an Arizona mountain in the middle of the night. It's totally black outside, bushes all around us, things squirreling around in the bushes. Thank goodness Sarah took a, her flashlight on her phone, but that's all we had. I thought she was going to leave me up there. I've also walked through living rooms to stand beside the bed of a friend who was about to take their last breath. I've walked that walk, unfortunately, more times than I would like to admit, across the room to apologize for something that I have said or done to hurt someone else. What do those walks look like in your life? Uh, let me ask you a little bit more. What's that most important walk that you've taken so far? Whether you're just getting started or whether you've been around like Leroy and some of the others who have walked thousands of steps, millions of steps in life. What walk was really, really worth experiencing? Here in Luke chapter 7, Luke sets the scene for a life-changing walk by taking us into a living room filled that day with guests. But yet he focuses only on three individuals. He focuses, first of all, on the host. His name is Simon. He's a Pharisee. He's a teacher of the law, a, a religious dude. The second, a sinful woman. A sinful woman who took a walk that day, who took a risk to walk into that house filled with people that were not like her at all to walk across the room and to find herself at the feet of Jesus. And then the third person that we see here is the guest of honor, and that's Jesus Christ. Look with me in verse 36. Now, one of the Pharisees, Simon, invited Jesus to have dinner with him, so he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. Now, <clears throat> there's a lot of different viewpoints about what this looks like. I, I best remember it as a small vial, a, a very expensive vial, more, more expensive than Chanel number no. 5 or number no. 10 or whatever, whatever flavor you like. Very expensive. And once it's opened... You sure can't put it back in. And for her, it cracks the top off. You, you'll never seal it up again. She brought with her an alabaster jar of perfume. Verse 38 says, not only did she walk into the house, but she found herself standing behind Jesus at his feet, weeping. Those, those big old crocodile tears coming off of her cheeks. When all of a sudden, dripping off of her chin, those crocodile tears land on Jesus' feet. And what's she to do? All she has is her hair. She lets down her long hair. 
And she gets down on her hands and knees and she wipes his feet dry with her hair and then she does it. She breaks open that jar and she puts that nard, that perfume, that oil on his feet. Now I want you to make a few notes about this woman. Some of you who've heard this account many times, you think you already know where I'm going. You have no idea. This sinful woman, she had a name. She had a name. I bet people in that room knew what her name was, but she was known only, only by people's perception of her. She, she was known only by her reputation. She was known only by how she saw herself. And so inspired by the Holy Spirit, Luke writes it down this way, this sinful woman came in. And you know, I think at one point or another, we all have, have felt that way. We felt like our identity is based on our profession. Our, our identity is based on a mistake that we made in the past. Our identity is based on how much you know in this book right here. Like Simon, he, he thought he knew it all. I want you to consider the courage the courage that it took for her to pull up with her camel and to open the door and to get out and to walk into that house that day. How many of you, how many of us have pulled up at a place like this for the first time? And some of us can't even comprehend this because we grew up in a place like this. But if you're in your 20s, your 30s, if you're a teenager and you pull up to this place for the first time, how many of you have stayed out there on your camel? Maybe even turned around and went back home a few times. I can't tell you how many people have said they've driven past this place for years until that one day you get up the courage to walk through those doors and into this room. But not only the courage that it took for her to walk into the house that day, but what it was that caused her to take such a risk that she would go in and she would take the most valuable thing that she had in her life and pour it out at Jesus' feet. Instead of points, I've got a couple questions for you this weekend, and here's the first one. What's the most challenging walk you faced in life? What's the most challenging walk? It doesn't have to be a church answer. The most challenging walk that you've taken in life, and what was the risk? Because real walks have a risk attached to them. What was the cost for you if you took that walk and when you took that walk? What did it cost you? In 2006, Sarah and I took probably our second most challenging walk. The first one was down the aisle for her to marry me. I thought she was going to chicken out a couple years before that, 2004, when we were, were married. And by the time she got up to the front, I was hyperventilating and didn't think I was going to make it to the honeymoon. But anyway, in 2006, two years after we were married, expecting our first child, and a friend was ministering here, and we came to help that friend. And within months, the church asked us to stay for me to be the, the preaching pastor. And I've got to tell you, there were 67, 68 people here at the time. And I could count on one hand the number of children under the age of 10. 
And as I looked at my beautiful expecting wife and I looked at this room and I looked at the classrooms that were empty downstairs, I said, God, why in the world? Well, we both grew up in church. We know the importance, the important role that the church family played in our development and in our walk. Why in the world, God, would you want us to be at a place where our child will not be exposed to other children and, and children teaching them? But we took a risk. We took a risk in that year God challenged us to take a ministry that had been in existence for over 100 years and bring focus to the most important walk a person can take. Over the next three years, we asked everyone who came through these doors, and some of you remember this, but we asked everyone who came through these doors to stay, but to stay and make this commitment to walk with us. It was a walk toward one mission with four pieces. And that first, that first piece is the most important. And that is that we help. We are here only for that person that's brave enough to get out of the car and to walk through these doors that they would discover the God of the Bible. Apparently, you, you guys are all new. To discover God's love and his grace and his desire for relationship with him. Well, what's that look like? If you walk into a room today, no matter how crowded, it's expected of the leader of that group to have at least one chair, if not two, open for you. That if you would dare to take that walk, and if you walk into a room ever, and there isn't an empty chair for you, I want you to turn around and walk right back out, and I want you to come and get me. Because we do nothing here, nothing that's just for us. Everything that we do here is for that person who's going to walk through the door. Because we want more than anything for them to discover God and his love and mercy. Now you getting it? Second, second, we don't stop there. But we believe with all of our heart that the second most important thing is for us to connect with other believers. The church. Now, you've heard me say when Sarah and I came here, I hated the church. You say that's strong words. Well, some of you know what I mean because you've been in those places. You felt your worst pain in those places. You've been disappointed the most because you didn't realize there's human beings in the church that are, that are broken, that are very human. But we believe that we need to connect with God, we need to connect with others, and we need to share in our faith journey. Third, we need to grow. We need to grow in our knowledge of who God is, his commands for our lives. Let me tell you, if you find yourself to be 60, 70, 80 years old, and you think you've arrived, you are not even close to arriving. Me? I'm still way down there at the beginning. I'm still looking at the table of contents some days. We will not be fully grown until we're face to face with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Until then, no matter how old, no matter how tired, no matter how held back you feel in life, your responsibility is to be connected to the body and growing 
growing, not just in knowledge, but in application of the very things that God will teach you when you are here and his word is open. And finally, we are to love. Love is the end product of discovering God, of connecting with the church, and growing and understanding who he is. You cannot love were it not for God's love inside of you and understanding that love. Now, over the next 10 years, over the next 10 years, what we witnessed was, was incredible. And some of you are from mega churches, and you see this happen every other weekend. But here, in a place that two truck stops, where's your church at? Go to the two truck stops, turn right. <laughs> but over the next 10 years, we witnessed over 400 people not come from other churches but walk down these aisles and get into that water to be born again, to be baptized, to discover a first-time relationship with Jesus Christ. 400, 400 new believers. We saw six, we saw six young men ordained into full-time ministry, whether that was here or other places like Graham Jones, who's interviewing right now for positions. Is, he's just a great candidate to be out there for churches that are in need of, of young men. And we have walked with hundreds of others as they discovered a walk worth experiencing, the significance of a church family. By 2016, these five kids had exponentially increased to the point that there were kids literally sitting in the hallways for small groups on Wednesday nights. Every classroom downstairs, the walls had been busted out to make bigger rooms, and then once those rooms were not big enough, they moved to the hallways. Nancy Stone's been with us the whole way, and Nancy sat on the floor with them right out there. We only had one room for adults. We asked all the other adult groups to stop meeting because we needed room for these young ones who didn't know, who needed to know. And so we saw literally 100 students here by 2016. The staff offices were demolished. There was nothing here but just an opportunity for young people and old people to grow to discover, and to love. But in 2016, we took a huge risk. We had a vision. We had an idea of the space that we needed. And, and if, you, if you've been here, you know this. We're not the field of dreams. We didn't ask to build a building so that people would come. We had to build a building because people were here. And so we... We asked, we said, if we're going to build a building, we're going to do it debt-free. We're not going to go and borrow money. I just finished a series on the importance of living debt-free so that we can be generous to others. And so the last thing that we're going to do is go against that. But $1.3 million out of two or 300 people living in a truck stop community, there aren't doctors we, we managed to get one lawyer in here. <laughs> you just, we're just hardworking people. 
some of which have been extremely blessed. But $1.3 million, let me tell you what happened. Two years later, in 2018, that main lobby, that atrium, those offices, that kitchen, that classroom wing was complete, and it was paid for. It was paid for. That year, we moved forward with gutting that basement that you remember underneath me. By this time, 400 people were walking through there on a weekend. The kids were everywhere down there. My girls, from the time they were little, my oldest daughter took her first steps down there on that old, nasty maroon carpet, right? Every church has got maroon. But that carpet was so nasty down there from people walking on it that they would come home and their little bare feet would be black. Their little white tights would be black on the knees. And so we gutted that place down there and we built it out to be a suitable place, a good place for young people. And we filled it with great people who are down there teaching our kids. We finally came in this room and knocked out the last wall remaining. We'd already taken out three la two layers and we finally took out the last one to make room for you today. As I said, we did this without incurring debt. But here's the most important thing. We never lost focus of our mission. Those of you who've been here for six years, did we lose focus of our mission? Did we have committees that decided on paint colors and then got their underwear in a wad? Did we have people complaining about the color of the chairs or the height of the ceiling or that the door only opens this way? No, not a thing. Because why? We stayed focused on people discovering God. And 200 more people have come since then to discover God, to connect with the church, to grow, and most importantly, to love. But I also want you to know that yesterday I buried I buried one of the plumbers, a plumber that came here to help me because I wanted to save money, and a couple other guys to cut a 50-foot-long piece of concrete out to dig and put lines in to run out to the sewer so that we could have two more bathrooms downstairs. We, we needed bathrooms for these little kids so they could stay in a secured area and have the bathroom. And this very kind plumber owned one of the largest plumbing companies around, came that day, and he walked through the building with me, and I showed him what you guys were doing, what God was doing here. And he stayed, and we talked for an hour. And when we walked out to his truck, I said, you know, Jack, you, you just seem like such a neat guy. You know, thanks for coming out today. That Thanks for being willing to cut us a break on this and working with me. Where do you go to church at? It's been years, he said. Well, after we set two toilets together the next week and he saw what the children's ministry wing was looking like, he brought his granddaughter. He brought his wife. He brought his son. And his wife was baptized right there. His daughter-in-law was baptized right there. His granddaughter is right there in this children's ministry, an electrician, an electrician of the Catholic faith came to me 
said, my father died. So I'm so sorry. Will you come and speak at his funeral? What a privilege. What a privilege. Today, MCC is walking with more than 600 individuals and families monthly. And we have an amazing children's ministry. We have an amazing teen ministry. We have amazing adult ministries that are reaching hundreds online every week with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Weekend and midweek gatherings where more than 90% of you who attend regularly serve in some capacity. How many of you have been places where two people do the work of 100? Not here. Not here. If you're part of the family, you're serving. Now, if you've been part of this walk for these last six years, for these last six years or the last 16 years or more, I want you to just raise your hand. Keep your hand up. If you've been here for six years to 16 years, I want you to raise your hand. Now, keep your hand up, and I want you to look around you at the people who have come since then because this is why we're here. And we are so grateful that all of you are here. We've prayed that you would be here and that you would be part of this. Let's thank God for that right now. I was going to pray, but you all wanted to clap. We'll just go with the clap. Also in this room in Luke chapter 7, let's go back to the Scripture. Also in this room, among others, was Simon. Simon the host. And what we discover right away is that Simon was unwilling to budge. Not not only was he unwilling to walk, but he was certain he didn't need to. Everyone else, they could do the walking. But Simon, no, no, no. He had opened his home that day to Jesus. He was the host. It was a sham. He was no more a host It was a sham. Did he open his home to Jesus? Absolutely not. Not any more than he had opened his life to Jesus. Simon was unwilling to budge. How do I know in verse 44? Jesus says to Simon, Simon, I came into your house. You didn't give me any water for my feet, which is a custom. It's like you coming in my front door and me kicking the dogs back, right? They're barking at you. And you're coming in the door, and I say, welcome. Have a seat. Need a drink of water? Anything I can get you? Didn't happen. Simon? Simon, you didn't greet me with a kiss. Simon, did you, did you put oil on my head? I don't think so. Completely the opposite of this woman who had taken such a risk that day. But I ask you, church, when are the times when you've been unwilling to walk because of your predetermined judgment about a situation or a person? You see, Simon had already decided he wasn't walking. If Jesus wanted to come, great. He was in Simon's house. Simon was to get the credit, not Jesus. And I know there's reasons we don't want to take a walk. There's many reasons. Some of us have taken that risk 
and we've walked in only to be disappointed, to feel rejected, to have those feelings of inadequacy rise up higher than they ever have. Maybe you feel inadequate yourself to walk across the room and greet someone, but you cover it up with false confidence. You make it look as if you're too good. Maybe you've forgotten what it's like to be in a situation different from where you are today. Maybe you've forgotten what it's like to, to make that walk the first time. <laughs> Perhaps you don't feel it's worth your time or your resources that are being asked of you, and so you choose not to walk. What is it for you that's kept you from the walk that God's been calling you to? You know, one of the things that's kept this church healthy over the last 16 years, I'm convinced, is because the majority of people in this room once didn't want to take a walk. They, they had left the church a long time ago. The God that they saw in their parents or in family or in the Pharisee that they worked with was not the God that they wanted. And so for whatever reason, they stayed back until that one day you walked in. One of the things that I love about this church is that 60% of you at any given time, this is your first time walking with a church family. It's your first time maybe even as a believer to be walking with a church family. And that does something. That does something for us when we realize how once we were lost and how now we have found. We don't worry about the little things. We understand that people are people, people that need a second chance, people who need a new beginning because we've been there ourselves. That's why it's different here. That's why you can walk in just the way that you are and you can be loved and you can be accepted. But Jesus won't leave you just the way you are. He will change you. He will transform you. One of our members tells the story of 12 years ago. He had come to MCC for the first time. He sat out there in the parking lot in his car. There was a guy named Larry Egg, and some of you might remember Larry. He lives out in Arizona now. But Larry was this tall, very imposing man. He had been a former jailer, right? And he still had that look, right? The crew cut probably had three guns in each pocket, and he was standing out there on this stoop. We used to have this crazy stoop. Why you'd build a church with four steps just to get in the building, I have no idea, but that was the main entrance at the time. He was standing on the stoop, and he saw this man get out of his car, and he started walking towards the door, and then he didn't about face, went right back towards his car. And before he could get to the car, Larry in his big voice, he yelled, hey, 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 you. I know you want to be here. And he turned around and he came in. And for the last 12 years, that man has stood at that door at least once a month to welcome other people through that door just like he was welcome. But most importantly, on November 7th, I don't know if he remembers this, he's in the room today, but on November 7th, 2011, I had the privilege of baptizing him into Jesus Christ. Simon, for whatever reason, was unwilling to take that walk. Now, there's a third walk here that I have overlooked, Bill. 
I've overlooked it because I concerned myself more with Simon and, and I kept waiting for Jesus to rake him over the coals and I built whole sermons around that. But it's the walk that Jesus took that day. Have you ever thought about that? Jesus who was invited to a house where he knew he would face opposition, a house that wasn't concerned about honoring anyone else but the host Simon. Jesus who knew he'd be rejected by the majority but also knew there was one. There was one who needed an encounter with him. You see, Jesus was not only willing, but he walked that day so that she could have an encounter with him. And the point is, is that the walk always worth taking for the believer, the walk always worth taking is a walk of self-sacrifice. Self-sacrifice. The moment that you become a believer, it's not about you anymore. It's about that person outside of Jesus Christ. And you're willing to walk any place and to do anything to see one more person find him. The walk I'm inviting you to this weekend is, is that walk. You say, oh boy, here it comes. I, I've got to tell you, I, I hate these talks. I only hate one part of it. And that's the part when I say, well, we need a new, new uh, phase two, and that costs $800,000. And just as soon as I say that, some of you in this room right now, well, that's the reason I left my last church. <laughs> All they want's my money. All they're going to talk about now is this building. Those of you who've been here for six years, I want you to raise your hand again. Has it ever been about the building? No. Has it? I mean, if it has, say it. Has it ever been about the building? Has it ever been about your money? No. Do you need to be part of a project like that? Why? Because it grows your faith. It grows you as an individual. And so let me just get it out right now. If you're here and you're new and you haven't been part of this before, it's okay. I want you to just sit and watch, but I beg you to come back for the next two years. And at the end of those two years, if you believe on any level that it's been about the money, that it's been about a building, then I want you to come and tell me and I will publicly, I will publicly tell you how wrong you are. No. <laughs> But I'll take responsibility because I've done something wrong. Because it's not about that. Listen, the walk I'm inviting you to take this weekend begins here. Praying daily for the awakening of souls to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Those of you who have come in these last six years, the staff and I, some of the elders, and a few others that we've asked, we've asked everyone to, but I don't know how you've done but we have prayed weekly for you that you would be awakened to God, that you'd be awakened to the church, that you'd be awakened to what we've discovered in him. You're here because you've been prayed for. Second, I'm asking you to take a walk that includes your personal obedience to Christ and his commands. 
When I came to this church 16 years ago, I told you I was raw. I didn't like the church, but I love God. And I told the guys that were here, I'm not playing. God's the one who got me here, and I'm not worried if I have to walk out because he'll take me wherever I need to be. I was fine to cut grass the rest of my life, whatever I need to do. I'm not playing. And if you're playing, stop it. Stop it. Get real. Lean in. Get connected. Obey Christ and his commands for your marriage, your life, your children. Number three, I ask you to make a commitment to be present by making the gathering a priority. Not if you have time. Not if your driveway's clean. But a priority. Just like going to Walmart. You're going to get there one way or another. I want you to be here. Why? Because you are not dispensable. Young lady, young lady, we had a bunch of them last night. Teenager out in the lobby, saw her over in the corner by herself, tears, walked over to her. What's going on? Feel alone. Oh, hon, you're not alone. Well, I, I feel like it. I said, you struggle with depression? Absolutely. I said, I'm here. I'm with you. I'm with you. She said, I liked your sermon. I said, well, what'd you like about it? She said, well, you're, you're going to be upset because there's only really one thing that I liked. <laughs> and she said, she, this is her word. She said, when you said that I mattered. <laughs> we don't realize how much we matter. We don't realize how much we matter when someone new walks in the room and they take the courage to ask you to move your butt over, those of you that sit right on the edge and won't move. <laughs> and they sit down next to you. Don't you miss the people sitting next to you when they're not sitting next to you? I do. I miss every one of you. You matter. And finally, here it is. Your informed and prayerful participation in financially supporting our ministry through the tithe, that's God's command. Not mine, that's his. You want to blame me? All I'm doing is getting you lined up with him. And I'm not ashamed of it. Yes, I get nervous because some of you get twisted about it. But it's his command, and he has a purpose for it. And the 200 people in this church that have stretched beyond the tithe can tell you that he never disappoints. Had, had a lady come to me just a couple months ago. And she said, when are we going to start that next, that next phase? And I said, well, we need $400,000 just to get it started. That, that'll make sure it's closed in because we never want to do anything halfway. Jesus said, count the costs, right? Don't, don't build a house and, and only be able to put the foundation and put the whole thing up. So she said, well, she said, uh, you know, I, I gave a lot of money uh, to the last one. And I said, yeah, I know. I looked at the teens last night. There's a lady in our church that isn't wealthy by any means. She worked for the railroad, retired from there. No kids, no kids of her own. She's now a widow. She had saved from the time she was a teenager until the, this day, which she was about 75 at the time. She's 81 now. 
75 years old, she took all of the money that she had saved. I'm not saying you have to do this. She took all the money that she had saved so that she'd have a place to stay, a place that would chew her food for, right? You know, and give it to her. Stuff they do at nursing homes. You know what I'm talking about? She surrendered it to God. 300 and some thousand dollars to jumpstart, to put us guys to shame in our little gifts. She told me two months ago, she said, Dave, you remember that? And I said, I, I vaguely remember your gift. <laughs> I vaguely remember your gift because it was her house that I went to first to say, hey, we're getting ready to do this. I don't know how God's going to do this. It's crazy, I know, but he's called us to do that. And that's the day that she said, well, it's interesting because God's been laying it on my heart. Anyway, that lady told me just a couple months ago, she said, you know, God has has made all of that up. Now, how's that happen? She doesn't even work. He's made up over $300,000? What's that about? That's something that you learn when you tithe, that you can't outgive him, that he provides for all of your needs. He does it in crazy ways, sometimes dollar for dollar, sometimes not, but he always makes sure that you have enough. Last night, do you know that three people came up to that lady, had her in tears. They were in tears saying, because a few of them remember who she is because she did a video for us. She said, you can come live with me when you need a place to stay. And they meant it. Every walk we take comes with a price. So here's what we're going to do in phase two. This includes a new lobby space on the back where the deck is. It includes an expanded kitchen. If you've been in the kitchen on a Wednesday night, you can't get 20 people in there. <laughs> you guys are funny. You haven't even spent five hours in that kitchen. You're talking like that. We're going to double the size of the kitchen. We're going to add more classrooms. We're going to add more bathrooms. And then we're going to have a room out back where 450 of us on midweek can sit down and we can eat together at tables. When this room, which is getting fuller by the day, we've already run our 80 kids downstairs that normally in this room for half the hour with us. When this room gets full, we're going to go out there on the weekends and we'll be able to worship together. Still having Saturday night because Saturday night's very important. Still having Sunday morning, but we'll have room for you to bring your friends because what? There should always be some empty seats around us for that person. When that room is not being used for our big collide ministry on Saturday nights, when it's not being used as a worship center, when it's not being used for midweek meals and meetings, it's going to be fully usable as a basketball court. It'll have full-size, full-size high school legal basketball court. It'll have 26-foot high ceilings so that you can play volleyball in there. There'll be roller skating. There'll be shuffleboard, whatever it is that you want to do. Oh, you're going to form church leagues? Absolutely not. <laughs> the next minister, he can do whatever he wants to. No church leagues. Family friends coming out at night to a safe place where they can shoot some baskets, listen to some music, go back and relive the 80s, roller skating with your girl. <laughs> so here's what I'm asking you to do. Here's the ask. Every one of you who call MCC home or who want to call this place home, 
I'm inviting you to commit in three weeks. I want you to pray about it between now and then if you haven't already. I'm asking you to commit to three things. First, praying for the awakening of souls. You're going to get a packet in a little while. It's got a commitment card in it. Those of you that are online, we're going to mail it to you if you'll let us know. You can also look at our website. It's all right there. It's going to have a commitment card in it. On the first line of that commitment card is, I will pray for the awakening of souls. There it is, right? I will be involved and serve with a glad and sincere heart because it's only being connected that you can even begin to fathom what the church is all about. And then finally, there have been many, many of you, I've heard you talking outside of funerals that I've done. I see you talking out in the parking lot. And it's good talk, at least the ones that I've caught. And it's talking, when are we going to do this? Well, now's the time to put your money where your mouth is. You know, I think I could count on this many fingers. I don't know who gives, but I know the numbers because I want the church to be healthy and to not just be about two people doing everything. This many people have continued to give since the last $1.3 million. Do you know that right now we have $300,000 already towards this next goal? That means that within a matter of weeks, we could be able to order steel that's going to take a year to get here. <laughs> to order steel, to start the foundation. That's enough money to totally enclose this. We'll have to use flashlights in there. But to close this in and begin using it, I ask you to make a commitment with me for two years. Last time was five years. That was too much for even me. I took money out of my retirement to pay it off because I can't stand having payments, even if it's to the church. But for two years, we ask you to make whatever commitment God tells you to make. Now, now I talked to that lady after the service because we've been praying for her that she'd give that 300000 again, right? <laughs> Um, some of you are looking at me like, there you go. I knew you, were, I knew you were about the money. No, I'm not. We just have a good time here. She's waiting on God to tell her. God told me last month, and I argued with him. But I finally called the uh, stock guy that I use and sold another, another bunch of my retirement. Uh, now I'll retire when I'm 95. <laughs> Some of you have done that over the last few weeks, and we've gone from two hundred fifty to three hundred thousand dollars. I want you to make your commitment, and then in three weeks we'll be right back here, and we're going to take that first big step together. And by Easter, I'm going to ask you to give big, just like Jesus Christ gave big, and let's get this thing going. I've shared with you a number of times that the most important walk that I've taken in my entire life is the walk that I took from that third or fourth seat to the front, not of this church, but of my home church at the age of 10. It's the most important. I've taken so many walks. I've been on walks that I never thought I'd be on. When I was 32. Walks when I was 18 and was recruited for my first job. I had all kinds of amazing walks in life, but none of them hold a candle to that day. When I came forward and I died, me died in that water, and I rose with Jesus Christ in charge of my life. And he's been in charge ever since. 
He's in charge of every walk that I take or I don't take. And friends, he's never let me down. He won't because he's good to his word, his promises. That's the walk that all of this is about. It's about one more person taking that walk. Changes your life, changes your eternity. If you're here today and you haven't taken that walk, this is where it starts. The rest is the blessing of getting to follow. Let's stand and let's pray. Father, thank you. <clears throat> thank you for, for this woman who was willing to take a walk that Father had to be one of the most challenging walks that she had taken in life to walk into a room where she knew she knew she was she was not welcome even though it was filled with religious people they had no idea or they just were unwilling themselves to have an idea of the importance of welcoming others but I'm grateful that she took that walk so that we could see it so that we could see how you reacted and understanding now that you walked there that day for her, just as you walked to Calvary in the days to come, just as you walked to that hill and you allowed yourself to be placed on a cross, buried in a cold tomb, and you rose yourself from the dead, the same power that rose you from the dead, now you let live in us. Father, I'm grateful for that. And as long as we have breath as a church, I pray that we would always be focused on others making that same discovery and that same walk. And to that end, Father, we commit ourselves today. In Jesus' name, amen. Come if you'd like to pray or to talk about your next step.